Hello and welcome to the Odin's Light podcast. I'm Gillan Williams and in this episode I'm going to be joined with David Babaline, who's a story consultant and narrative theorist. We met last year um, and he's actually helped us on one of our projects and he has developed something called the knowledge gap theory uh, and it helps us improve our storytelling. I'm going to talk to him about what that means and his background and he's going to give you some fantastic insight on how you can help improve your script writing and storytelling. The call was done over Skype, so please forgive the the nature of the sound. Hopefully it's clear enough, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. David, welcome to the Audience Light Podcast. My pleasure, thank you for inviting me, wonderful stuff. No problem at all. So I've given a bit of an introduction to who you are, but let's hear it from you. Uh, what is your background? Um, oh, well, I'm a story consultant now primarily, but um, originally a writer. I had a couple of books published in the traditional sense, oh dear, about 20 years ago now. Um, and um, one of them won a film story competition. So I was an author, but um, having won this first prize was to work with this glamorous uh, story guru who was flying in and out of Los Angeles, um, helping me to structure up my novel as a film script. And I severely didn't, well, I I didn't know anything about movies, so I just said yes to everything, let him go to work on my story, rolled his sleeves up and crowbarred it into what I later understood was the Hollywood formula. Um, Mm. But for me, it was a very unpleasant, uncomfortable process. And we ended up with this sort of dog's dinner and it didn't sell as a movie. It had won the competition, so I knew it was a good story, but it failed to sell as a movie. So to me, that proved that the Hollywood formula was nonsense. And I was whining to my publisher about this uh, process. And uh, he said to me, well, what did you expect from him? You know, if you go to third parties to help you with your story, you're almost certainly not going to be pleased with the outcome because it's not your story anymore. And I thought, that's absolutely fascinating. He said, what did you want? And um, he said to me, I'm writing a book. I'm getting different people to contribute a a series of books about how to get published, how to get an agent, how to work with the industry. And he said, would you like to contribute on the basis of this experience? I'm yeah, damn right I would. And um, I had to write 1,500 words in a month or something. And I delivered about seven years late. (laughs) <laughs> and it turned into uh, a book on my first book on story theory that came out in 2010, where I'm trying to establish how stories work in a sort of meta way that means people can get a benefit from understanding the craft of story and the mechanics of story without being told how their story should go. So my whole project now is called The Primary Colours of Story, and that's kind of what I'm trying to do, like the primary colours in art. They're going to be there whether you like it or not. You're going to use them whether you like them or not. So you might as well work with them and understand them, and it still won't impact you, your inspiration and your work as an artist, if you see what I mean. So I'm yeah. trying to do that for, for writers, get all these sort of universals and principles that apply to every story. So I ended up going back to university and uh, becoming a narrative theorist. So, uh, yeah, that's, I'm a kind of writer and narrative theorist now. And what interests you so much about narrative? Oh, it's just wonderful, isn't it? It's just wonderful. It's, uh, I, I, think for a lot, uh, I think for a lot of writers, it's 
trying to get away from the real world is one of the secrets that you shouldn't admit to. But um, I think I much prefer the story worlds that uh, I find myself immersed in um, than the real world. Although my children keep chiseling me back into the real one, unfortunately, but there you go. Um, <laughs> but no, they're just wonderful, aren't they? And there's such a magic about story. It's such a, it's such a difficult thing. You know, when I went back into academia and tried to establish what a story is, nobody has managed to define it. Since Aristotle 2,300 years ago, nobody's come up with a definition of story that everyone agrees or they come and say, oh, that's a really good definition for what a story is. And then you find an exception. They say, oh, yeah, well, uh, that's annoying. But And so it's really fascinating. And, um, you know, I, when I give seminars, I say to people, okay, what's a story? You're a room full of filmmakers or uh, novelists. What is a story? And I, you just get a lot of blank faces, you know, and it's quite shocking, really. And I tell people they don't need to be embarrassed because nobody's been able to do it for down the centuries, yeah. Oh, that is interesting. That is interesting. There was a point that I made um, the other day, um, and I don't know if you agree with this, but storytelling, and I don't think it defines what it is, but it helps define us because that's what separates us from the animals is we tell stories and we explore the world through stories. Yeah. Well, there's no doubt that's true. The fundamental basis to all of this is um, language, and we are uniquely capable of language, and, and obviously that underpins stories and um it's a very interesting um journey uh if you go back 250,000 years you've got a small bone in your throat called the hyoid bone and it's the only bone in your body that's not connected to any other bones and as we became more upright you know that traditional image of early hominids becoming more the bone responded to gravity and articulated against a falling larynx and suddenly we could speak pretty much the same as we can now. And suddenly, 10 hominids working together, coordinating their activities using sound, became the most powerful creature on Earth. That mm. did it, change the planet forever. And from there, if you take sophisticated cooperation to its logical extreme, you get civilization. Everything we have today goes back to the fact that we can communicate in a sophisticated manner, and that's all down to language. And the most powerful thing we can communicate is experiences. Because in nature, without language, the only way to learn something is by being there and doing it actively in real time or copying someone else. Experience is the only way of learning something. You've got your instincts and then what you see and learn from right in front of you. Whereas with language, we can communicate concepts and ideas and stories trigger the same mental reflexes that we use to generate a memory when we learn by direct experience. And that's why stories are so different. They trigger those same reflexes. A story is a memory. It's a portable, shareable version of a memory. And a memory is a story. We are what we, uh, we are what the memories we have and the stories we tell are the memories we have. And the memories we have are the stories we tell. They're all linked and they're all overlapped. And they all overlap with these things called knowledge gaps. So the right. story is knowledge gaps. And that's the basis to my, my whole sort of theory, if you like, that underpins what I do. Um, yes, because that's, that's the thing that I wanted to uh, get into next is this theory that you developed called the knowledge gap. Uh, we had a fascinating conversation about this last year at BAFTA. 
Yeah. And I'm very keen to share this, uh, or for you to share this with uh, with the listeners, because mm. um, I'd never heard of this before. I thought that it was something that was sort of understood in the industry that I hadn't discovered yet, but it's not. It's This is your theory, is that right? Um, yeah, it is, it is my theory. I mean, there has been a fair bit written about um, knowledge gaps in different ways. People had kind of identified the power in knowledge gaps in, a, in other sort of senses, but yeah, I pulled it together into a single theory of story. Um, on the basis of the neuroscience that I was just touching on just now. So back to our evolutionary selves, we only understand things in the context of a narrative progression. We're born out of narrative. Narrative is change over time. Mm -hmm. And it all comes from the fact that the planet spins and it gets, you know, the sun comes up and goes down, night follows day and, you know, the tide comes in and goes out and it gets wet and dry and, and life spins up. From change over time that's the mm-hmm. energy that causes life so we grow a product of and a function of change over time i.e narrative so our brains understand the world in terms of change over time so the example i use is a fishing net you know it's just an object right anything any object what are called signs in linguistics any object a car a football a rabbit a big giant Foot, a blue foot in the street, you know, I can create a picture in your mind using language, but it doesn't mean anything until it is part of a narrative progression. Mm-hmm. So talk about a fishing net, it's just a pile of string on the dock, until it doesn't mean anything until you know what it does. Okay, so then you have a narrative progression for what a fishing net does, and you understand it within a context that ends up with a delicious meal on your table at home. You see what I mean? So yes, yes. Everything is, makes sense. It only has meaning. We only have knowledge um, when we contextualize something in a narrative progression. That's what knowledge is. And um, so stories are only in mind. Stories are a function of knowledge. They're a narrative that we've put together in mind as a result of receiving information from the outside world. So information is out there, uh, that a narrative happens all the time. So right now a lion is chasing down a gazelle or a, a spider is spinning a web or some kids are playing football somewhere or there's a planet orbiting a moon or, you know, narrative is happening all the time, but that's just an information stream. For it to become meaningful, you need a human being there. This narrative assaults your senses and you use your cultural knowledge and experience of what it is to be a human and what it is to survive, to form that up into meaning in your mind in order to be useful to you. And a narrative progression always has an outcome, either a beneficial outcome or a negative outcome. And when you understand that narrative, psychologists call them scripts. So you run scripts the whole time to, to you, for, your, for your life. So you run a script to get breakfast, to, to uh, use um, the bathroom, to get to work, Ten lectures to run a relationship and a career and the Christmas holidays or whatever it might be. These are all narrative scripts that we understand. So we drop into them and we steer them to get the outcomes we want or to avoid the outcomes we don't want. So the biggest trigger in a human life, the evolutionary animal at the root of us, is terrified of gaps in narrative. Because as soon as you've got a gap, you have a lack of understanding and you have exposure, you feel that sense of risk and danger and or opportunity and excitement. So gaps in narrative 
trigger our visceral, our most visceral sort of defensive responses, right? So you wake up at 2.38 in the morning and there's a crash downstairs, you know, the classic bump in the night. <clears throat> got an amount of narrative there. You know there's a narrative unfolding, but it's got gaps in it. And you can't just say, oh, whatever, and go back to sleep because your brain, the, the animal brain in you is going, there's a gap here, there's gaps, there's danger, there's something I can't complete this narrative. And until you can complete it and fill those gaps, you can't calm yourself and settle your mind and go and carry on with your life, right? You have to go and find out what it is. You see what I mean? And so that's yes, the yes. basis to, to the way our minds work. That's the basis to our evolutionary advantage. What makes us so amazing is our ability to form up narratives and to live our lives by very complex narratives. All animals do, but we turn it into knowledge and we use it. And we're able to project into those gaps and create narratives which are purely speculative and rely on them. And it works. You know, it must seem like magic to other animals if they could think about it. But that's our superpower, if you like. That means we're the alpha creature on Earth. And it's also the reason stories work. Because as soon as you leave a gap, you are pressing those buttons, those evolutionary buttons, in your audience, in your receiver. You know, as soon as you leave a gap of any sort, and they will automatically and instinctively project information into that gap or knowledge into that gap and complete it. You can't stop yourself. If I say to you, this, this woman here, oh, my God, she is such a. You just completed that sentence, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. This, you can't stop yourself. You just project into that gap the best fit. You know, your brain does a sort of uh, pattern matching and offers you up best fit scenarios, narrative scenarios that will complete this, that complete this narrative in a way that your brain says, yep, that makes sense. I'm going to rely on that and carry it forward. And I'm going to sort of uh, manage my life on the basis of the best fit sense for this scenario. And the more knowledge you have, the more confident you are in the way you take your life forward. So your author's job is to make people feel unsafe and lack confidence in their own projections. And this is, and the reason we love stories is because we learn and we're practicing like kittens, you know, preying on each other and learning how to be better adults. We earn by that, by projecting accurately into narrative scenarios, we are arming ourselves to survive and do well to thrive in life. Does that make any sense at all? It, it does. It does. <laughs> so if I can maybe sum it up to make sure I got what you mean, yeah. you're by using the knowledge gap, you're tapping into our uh, nature in, in that um, it creates um anticipation tension excitement because there's a gap to fill yeah. and we innately want to answer that question we want to fill that gap with something with um, and that something is subtext right and so how does that apply to film practically um well it, it applies to every story in any medium at all this is the basic substance of story is knowledge gaps and the basic um, if you think about it, there are three roles that have to be played, and this is for a, a, any story in any medium. So <clears throat> there are three roles. There's the author's role, or scriptwriter's role, if you like, and that role is to set up the contextual framework which is going to have the gaps in it. So you orientate your audience to the nature of the story. And then you have the role of the characters. So the characters play their part. They deliver their actions and behaviors and um, interactions. They take action in their story world 
and we evaluate what they're doing and we try and predict what's going to happen and we hope and we empathize with what they're doing. And then the third role, so we've got the author orientating us to what the story's about. Then we have characters taking action in the story world. And the third role is the receiver, the role of the receiver of the story. It's up to the receiver to create the narrative progression in mind. And you, put the, put, you begin to build the story in your working memory and project into the gaps. So the author has built gaps into, the into what the receiver will receive. And their job, which is the critical one, it's called storification, where you turn this narrative through your own knowledge and experience into a story that makes logical sense in your own mind. And without the receiver, that's where the magic happens, is within the mind of the receiver. That's when, when they're joining in and it becomes a collaborative project where they are doing half the work, that's when they take ownership. That's when you get that sense of grit that the story got you, is when you're projecting into all the gaps. You see what I mean? I do, I do. And I think that if, if the scriptwriter understands this relationship and, and the power of the knowledge gap, you can play on it so that you can maybe create tension or create the gap and knowing that the audience is going to instinctively fill that or want it to be filled, so you've got the excitement. But then you can go beyond that, where they may instinctively fill it with the wrong answer, and you can surprise them with another um, filling of the gap that does the job, but is not what was expected. Perfect. Absolutely right. Yeah, you can lead them a dance, and, they, and that's what we want. We don't want the truth. We want to be entertained. We want to be set a puzzle. And this is what I'm saying about exercising your mind in ways that are going to benefit you in life. It's practice is filling in these gaps and creating narrative scenarios. We do it all the time. And if a good author will be misleading people and misdirecting them and, you know, all the, you don't want an author, you know, if Agatha Christie came in here now and sat down and just told us the truth of her story, the butler did it. Bye. You know, that's yeah. not a story, right? It's just there's no knowledge gaps. And so she takes that basic, you know, you've seen all of the movies that you've ever worked on have a starting sort of premise, you know, the, the seed that was the inspiration for the whole thing when the author started out all those years before. And they then have to break that out into two hours of knowledge gap. You know, it starts off as a very simple premise that you could probably get across to someone in 30 seconds and deliver them, deliver them a complete summary of the truth of the story. Um, but that's not what we want. We want to be set a puzzle and we want to have to do our bit and join in and produce it for ourselves in our mind. And the way we do, the author does that, is by leaving gaps for us to play in. Mm. What advice would you give to a scriptwriter who was maybe just discovering this? Um, and how, how can they incorporate this um, into their uh, story writing? Brilliant, yeah. That's, this is the basic craft of storytelling or story design, story crafting is how you work with knowledge gaps. That's, mm. So that, it's, it is interesting. It's, a, it's something you get better at as you practice. So one of the reasons I use a fishing net in my seminars is because I say to people, by the end of these seminars, I want you to see a fishing net and not say like we did five minutes ago, that thing on the key is made of string. No, it isn't. It's made of holes. A fishing net is made of holes. It constitutes it, it, it wouldn't exist without the holes. You wouldn't have a fishing net and it wouldn't work without the holes. It's made of holes. It'd be like trying to go fishing with a plank of wood. Right? Mm -hmm. The holes yeah. are the important bit. And when you 
a scriptwriter, a story creator, you need to see the holes. You need to understand the holes. And the only reason the string is there is to tell you where the holes are. So the more knowledge gaps you have, the longer they last, the deeper they run, the more, the more they persist and just the pure numbers of them, the more highly rated your story will be. It's quite interesting. I've actually measured a load of them in a university, which shows that I know how to have a good time. But there is a genuine <laughs> correlation uh, between the numbers and depth of knowledge gaps in a story and how popular it is. And if you think about something like Shakespeare yeah. uh, or poetry, if you like, massive gaps. And we have to project into those gaps to get any understanding of what's going on in a poem or in a Shakespeare play. And that's why lots of people hate Shakespeare, because they don't get it. You have to work so much harder to get something out of it. But if you do, you get this wonderful sense of satisfaction. People love it because they've had to do so much of the work for themselves. They get a much stronger sense of ownership and, and satisfaction from the work they've done. Whereas if you have... Yeah, it, it gives it more value because they've had to give something. They've had to earn it. Yeah, it's all about the receiver. and It's all about the work they do. If you imagine that you go into a... Go and watch a theatre play, a, a, a Shakespeare play with a two-year-old, the, the bit the author does, the framing, and the bit the characters do, they, the entire narration is identical for both of you. But the two-year-old and the adult are going to get very, very different things mm. from their capability, from the work they do and their intellectual capability to actually build the story. So you get a, a glimpse there of just how important the role of the receiver is and just how interesting the relationship is between the author and the receiver because the author is kind of encoding, setting this puzzle, and the receiver is decoding by providing the subtext, the knowledge that goes into the gaps. And if that, that is where the skill of the author lies for me, is in crafting gaps. So when you look at a new script writer and you say, how am I going to write this scene? When you get used to the toolbox, if you like, uh, there's only about, let's say, 50 knowledge gap types under those three ca categories of what the author does, the characters do, and what the receiver does. So you get quite good at crafting. So I'll give you an example. Let's say I'm, I've got a scenario in my mind, and I'm going to give it to you as a, an audience, right? So I'll give you some information, and it, let's say a parked car. There's a car parked in a street, right? And if you've got a 1,000 people watching for this scenario – None of them are going to get the scenario from that. It's not enough information. The knowledge mm. is far too big. In fact, there basically isn't one. Right? So I've got to go further. As the creator of this story, I haven't given enough information. And I, I don't want to just say what it is because that's not a story. That has no gaps in it. So, okay, I'll give you some more information. How about a car parked at a funny angle relative to the other car? You think, oh, that's interesting, but it's still not enough. People don't get it from that. You think, okay, I have to give a bit more. So how about a car parked at a funny angle outside a bank? Uh -huh. right. Ah. right. Now, So context of the gap improves yes. how interesting it is. Yes, and if you want to take the majority of the audience with you on the same journey, you make the gaps more and more obvious. Um and then the vast majority of people get the same scenario from the picture you're painting. You know, I mean, a, a basic knowledge gap is a question. Any form of question is obviously a gap between the question and the answer. 
So if a character comes up to another one and says, look, you know what, I'm going to climb that mountain. I'm going to, I don't care that the weather's, the weather's dreadful, that it's winter. I'm going to go for it. Right? You've now got a question in your mind. Will he manage to climb the mountain without dying? And that's it. You've opened a knowledge gap and you kind of follow this guy's progress. But as a writer, you think, well, it's not interesting enough. He's a mountaineer and it's not, you know, so you say, well, how can I block him in? How can I make this more difficult? Say, so, okay, it's, you'll definitely die. The weather's terrible. So why would you do that? Well, my mate is dying up there. He broke his leg. I've managed to get back down, but I'm going to go back up and get him. So you are definitely risking your life. And now the question changes and you've got more empathy. Will he get back in time or will he save his partner? And you think, well, how can I block him in again, but keep the knowledge gap, but pass doubt on what should go into the gap? So you say, okay, let's say this guy's got a wife. And she says, don't you dare go back up that mountain. You had an agreement that if one of you was in danger, you'd, the other one would get back safely. You wouldn't risk your life and have two people die. And you will definitely die if you go up there. And I'm telling you now, if you put one foot on that mountain, you're never seeing these nine children again. I'm off. You know, you've got to risk Right? So you keep blocking your characters in and making life more and more difficult whilst keeping the question open. And then, as you said before, change it, keep changing it and twisting things so that you keep the brain of the receiver actively trying to project into those gaps all the time. So yeah. It's a big craft of a scriptwriter. Yeah. That's interesting because you mentioned climbing the mountain and, and the car outside the bank and that immediately conjures up tropes where you know the bank heist and mm. you know the survival story on the mountain. Yeah. So the audience is going to instinctively fill those gaps because I've seen this before, I know how this goes, yeah. um, which reverts back to that natural response, the bang in the night, well, that's probably the dog's knocked the lamp over, <laughs> but it might be the tiger that's coming to eat us. So I've got to go and check it because there's some sort of primal instinct there. Uh. So playing with the tropes, that's when you surprise and delight the audience. Yeah. And what you just said is exactly right. If you trigger, you know, the, the bank robbery, everybody knows what's going to happen now. There's going to be some guys in balaclavas pointing shooters at poor people behind the cashier desk, and then there'll be sirens, and then there'll be a car chase. We all know how a car chase goes. We've never been in one, almost probably not, but we know what happens. You know, it's really weird. We, we do lead our lives through cultural knowledge and experience of existing scripts. And those scripts define us. And by using those, you don't have to put in a whole load of backstory. I'm able mm. to give you a quick example by using a bank robbery and a survival on a mountain story because uh, everybody knows it. This is why crime stories are po so popular. It's because everybody knows really quickly there's a detective trying to catch the bad guy and the questions, the main, major dramatic arcs, are right in there from the start. As soon as you know it's Agatha Christie, as soon as you know it's this detective or that criminal, you know that the basic framing for the entire story, the work the author does, the framing work, the orientating of the audience, is there for you. It's there, it's done, it's a given. So you can move on to the more interesting things that sit within the framework instead of having to bore people with backstory and lots and lots of sort of discourse to get them prepared for the story. Great. Well, that's that's brilliant advice. Thank you. You have a book coming out. Is that right? I do. Um, yeah, my final book of story theory. I'm done. I've had I've had 20 years of this stuff. This is the flagship masterwork of my story theory journey. 
called the it's industry changing, is it? You know what? It, it is in the sense that this is original research, and I've taken those knowledge gap theory out of the university, and I'm applying it practically, as you know from our work together, um, to people who I'm trying to make entertaining and um, uh, make their stories as powerful as they can be. So mm-hmm. I turned it into a set of um, tools and methods, and the primary colours. Colours of Story gives you insight into how stories work, so a bit of background theory, the kind of thing we've been talking about, and then practical tools and methods for how to understand the craft of story from the perspective of a writer so that you can make the most of your own ideas. Well, that's excellent. Uh, I look forward to reading it. Uh, it's always a joy to talk to you, David. And to you, Gillen, and to you. It's wonderful. Thank you very much for your time and, uh, and your insight. I hope... The listeners find this as interesting as I do. Um, it was a revelation uh, discovering the knowledge gap, and uh, I'm very pleased that we've been able to share this. That was wonderful. Thank you. I just need about another nine hours to try and get all my points across. But there you go. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you. Well, that's, uh, that's a good incentive to buy the book. <laughs> There's your knowledge gap right there. <laughs> there it is. There's always one. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you very much, David, and um, take care. And you. See you soon. Cheers. Thanks. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.